Amen. You may be seated. Happy New Year to everybody. And uh, when we think of the new year, we think of new beginnings, turning a new page, a new leaf, new commitments, new devotions, new consecrations, new resolutions. I uh, don't know, does anyone here have that, that kind of beginning of the year where you have some ideas and concepts of things you want to see accomplished and done? Goal setting is very healthy. Goal setting is very important, and uh, a lot of times we have a goal with the end in mind. We look at where we currently are, and we look at where we would like to be. I currently stand at, you know, 672 pounds. I like to stand at, you know, 200 pounds. That might be the goal. You think of where you want to be, and you think about where you are. I don't think there's anyone in here pushing 672, but maybe. Uh, you just hide it well because muscle weighs more than fat, and uh, so that's just the way things are. But when you set a goal, usually you have the end in mind, and we have to understand that where we are currently, that we need to have the end in mind. And though the church was beginning, there was also at the same time announced its ending. In Acts chapter 1, the church was beginning but as it was about to begin, the angels began to announce how it was all going to end, saying that, look, Jesus is coming back the same way that you've seen him go. And just like this church, you need to go start it right now. Just remember this as you start the church. The same way you've seen him go, he is coming back. Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. God is not confined to time where we currently dwell. God works with the end from the beginning, the end in mind. Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world, this Lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world. He wasn't slain yet, but the Bible says from the foundation of the world that Lamb was slain. The Bible says... Everything that we uh, th that was pointing to Jesus, it was a type and shadow of things to come. Though in the present, it was in front of them. It really was just casting a shadow, and they were going towards the end of what God had in mind from the beginning. And as we are beginning a new year, hopefully we are living with the end in mind. Hopefully we are thinking about what is to come. And some people say, well, bless God, it's all going to burn with a fervent heat. And uh, so I'm not going to really think about anything in this world. But we need to think about with that in mind that everything's going to burn with a fervent heat. So we ought to be the more earnest knowing that those that do have their affections set on earth and their affections set on the temporary more than likely are leaning towards being burnt with a fervent heat. And so we need to feel that flame. We need to feel the weight of eternity while we live currently, presently in this time, saying, you know, God, help me to think with the end in mind. In Matthew 24, I want to read through this chapter, a good portion of it. Verse 1, Jesus is out. This is before he is crucified, very shortly uh, before this uh, occurs. And as he's out, he's departing from the temple. The disciples come to him, and they're pretty excited to show Jesus the buildings of the temple. This, this temple is immaculate. It is beautiful. It is 
uh, Herod's temple. You had the temple in the wilderness, Moses' tabernacle. Then you had Solomon's temple that was built in its beauty and grandeur. But because the people of God backslid, all of a sudden now it is being invaded, raided. It's completely obliterated. It's destroyed. And now it's uh, it's lying waste in ruins. When you read the book of Nehemiah and Ezra, it's just a, a, a horrible condition that they find themselves in. But there is a prophecy going forth that another temple is going to be built. And that second temple in the beginning is not very impressive. The Bible says in Nehemiah, as that temple was built, people began to rejoice. But then there was the elders who saw the preceding temple. They began to weep and crying because it did not look as nice as the one before. But the encouraging prophets begin to say the latter is going to be greater than the former. And over time, as this second temple was built, it is known as Herod's temple. And Herod tried to promote peace amongst the people in his kingdom. And and, and the Roman rule is they helped invest in the Jewish temple. And it became even better than Solomon's temple. It was glorious. It was beautiful. Though the reign was not the same because they were not under a Jewish king. They were not under God's rule. They were under Roman rule. They still had a beautiful temple. And so they had something to celebrate as they looked at this immaculate edifice. And so they are showing it to Jesus how great everything was and how far they've come. Look where we used to be. We were in a bad condition. We were without a temple, but now we have this beautiful temple. And Jesus begins to reveal to them what's about to be removed and what is going to remain. And Jesus, he says here in verse 2, he says, Look it, see not all these things. Verily I say unto you, there shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. This beautiful temple, these wonderful edifices all around it, not one stone is going to remain. Everything's going to be wiped out. Everything's going to be brought down. And this catches the disciples off guard, and they are very concerned about this beautiful temple that they put time, money, effort into for generations. And as they're sitting upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples come to Jesus privately on the side, and they say, tell us when. Tell us when. I want to know when This is going to be. When is all of this going to occur? And what's going to be the sign of your coming? What's going to be the sign of the end of the world? Those are some pretty big questions. When is this all going to be destroyed? When's your return going to happen? And when's the end going to occur? And so when Jesus begins to respond, it would be good for us to lean in to know when is this going to occur? Jesus said, take heed that no man deceive you as he answers the question of when these things will be, the sign of his coming and the end of the world. And his first statement that he makes is quite interesting. He says, take heed that no man deceive you. The end time signs and the end time battle will be deception. Deception. He says the first thing you got to have your eyes out for, the first thing you have to have your ears trained is to discern deception. 
Because I am coming back. The end time is going to occur. And the prevailing spirit of that day will be deception. Not a few, but many will come in my name saying, I am Christ and deceive many. I do believe this refers to people that literally will profess themselves to be the Messiah. But I also believe there is a connecting principle of people that confess to know the Messiah, confess to know the Savior, confess the name of of Jesus. They will come in the name of Christ. They will come in the name of Christianity. But that form of Christianity, that form of Jesus, many will be deceived by. And we find ourselves today in a land and in a time, but perhaps there's never been more ever than before operating in the name of Jesus, claiming faith in Jesus, claiming a, uh, a religion in the name of Jesus. But he goes on to say, here are some more signs. You're going to hear about wars, rumors of wars. And that would cause us to be alarmed. But Jesus says, see that you are not troubled. I don't know if you happen to have your heart beat a little bit when things begin to go sour, when things begin to go bad, when, when something doesn't go your way, your heart begins to race. I, I've never been in a land with war where there are sirens going off about some potential air raid that's going to come over my head. I've never been in a scene where I've been worried that someone's going to come knocking on the door, beat it down, and, and a SWAT team's going to come arrest my family. I've never been in that kind of condition. But I have an idea that my heart would race just a little bit. I think I would be living in a a degree of greater concern than I currently am right now. There are things that get my heart racing. There are things that trouble me. There are things that concern me. And Jesus says, when you hear about wars, when you hear about rumors of war and the ends of time, he says, make sure that you see you're not troubled by that. How would you react? How do you feel when you listen to the news, when you read the front page and you see another Another headline that is contrary to your faith. Another headline that is contrary to your preference. Jesus said, make certain, see to it, that when you read those headlines and you read those moments, that you don't react in the negative. You don't react in anxiety and fear because God did not give us a spirit of fear. He's given the church power, love, and a sound mind. He says, all these things must come to pass. We're doing everything we can to try to prevent it, to stop it. We get involved in the political realm to try to vote certain ways because there's certain things we don't want to see unfold. But Jesus says, these things must come to pass. And as you see them unfold, do not let your prevailing emotion be trouble, be anxiety, be worry, be stress. We must see to it we're not troubled. How on earth can one remain calm while the world runs in chaos? Those in peace, no. Those in chaos are caught off guard or caught unaware. It is the difference between those who can live in a state of peace and those who live in a state of fear. As they have knowledge, they have revelation and understanding that this is not catching me off guard This is exactly what God said was going to occur. 
And because I have revelation, because I have God share this truth with me, and I see it, I read it, I can look at what's going on. I can look at the news headline, and I can hold up my, my Bible right next to it and say, the times are catching up with the prophecy. The times are catching up with God's word. And so Jesus said, when I see this, not to fear. It's turning out just like he said it would. But if you don't know what the outcome is, your current circumstance can be dreadful. It can be fearful. It can be worrisome. Not that our flesh won't react. You're going to react regardless. But your state of mind should not be panic. Your state of mind should not be handicapped by what is going on around us. So the best thing we can do is stay informed with the book. Know what the word of God says. And so when life begins to unfold, it is not catching us unawares. In verse 7, he says, look, nation's going to rise against nation. Kingdom against kingdom. There's going to be famines. There's going to be pestilences. There's go- it's going to be disease. Uh, it seems to be the mantra of the past two and ongoing years right now we find ourselves in. It's almost as if disease, we would never thought in our day and age that disease would have greater headlines and wars and rumors of wars. Where we always used to pay attention to the wars and the rumors of wars and the earthquakes and such like. But now it seems that we find ourselves in pestilence. We find ourselves in a season, an era of disease, and it causes much uncertainty. But we do not have to be caught off guard. Verse 8, these are just the beginning of sorrows. That's kind of aggravating. You're like, man, I, I, I've seen some famines. I've seen some pestilence. I've seen earthquake. I've seen wars, rumors of wars. When is this all going to end? When is it all going to be over? And Jesus says, don't worry about it. This is just the beginning. Very encouraging, very exciting. Verse 9, he says, after all of that, they'll deliver you to be afflicted. And kill you. You will be hated of all nations for my name's sake. It all is about the name. And I believe this scripture bears no greater weight than the people of the name. This means more to the people that are passionate about the name that are emphatic about the name, that are doctrinal, that are dogmatic about the name. Because it's, it's easy, you know, say, God bless America. Well, God can be anything to anyone. But when you say, Jesus bless America, or better yet, America bless Jesus. America surrender to Jesus. America repent to Jesus. That, that's when things get pretty sticky. Because it's one thing to say, God bless America. You're going you're gonna to offend a minor segment of the world. It's a very slim segment that does not believe there is a God. The overwhelming populace of 7 billion plus on this planet believe there is a God. And they would not have trouble with saying, God bless you. But it is those that begin to say Jesus is God, where there is a line drawn in the sand and there is now a separation of 
who you believe God to be. And I believe in the last days, it's going to be, uh, there's going to be that level of persecution. Fine, you want, you want to believe in a God, just throw him in the pile with everybody else. But don't you dare say Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Don't dare say that nobody can come to God except they come to Jesus. That Jesus is the name, the accessing name to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. There is one God. The Bible says in Zechariah in chapter 14 verse 9 that there is one king that's going to be over the whole earth. And his name one. And we know that name to be Jesus. As he goes on to expound and explain the state of times and the end time. He says, this will be the condition of humanity. Many will be offended. If there is an elevated sensitivity, it is now where offense is abounding. People get offended over the most trivial, petty, insignificant things. And I believe it is a, a, a spirit that is flooding in, not just to the world, because we have this mantra where we have to be politically correct and be very careful, carefully crafted in what we say and how we say it and the demeanor in which it comes out of our mouth, the look on our face. We're, we're having to cover all bases so we can say something and it not be hate speech. People are so easily offended, but they are ready to be offended and by a group that believes in the name that this world is going to hate in the last days. That is the segment of society that they want to be readily finding offense to. But I believe the spirit of the age is also bleeding into the church where people are more easily offended about things that should not even matter to us. Where we're going to find ourselves uprooting our, uh, out of the church simply because of an offense. We're not going to talk to a brother in Christ, a sister in Christ over an offense. We're going to intentionally not come to church. We're intentionally going to avoid certain activities of church because of a Offense. It is the day in which we find ourselves catching that contagious spirit where the church in the apostles days, they did everything they could to come together and congregate one with another because they knew they were in greater danger severed from the body than being connected with the body. Though being connected to the body could sever their head, they would rather have a physical severance from the enemy than a spiritual severance from the enemy that would cause them to not be assembled with the brethren. The Bible goes on to say that many false prophets will arise and deceive many. I thank God for technology. I thank God for the ability of mass evangelism. But if there's ever been a moment in time where something is magnified from technology to a greater degree, it is false doctrine. It is error. It is deception. Many false prophets have risen. Many false voices have risen. Many false messages are going out on a magnified scale because of technology. I, I, time and time again as I travel and talk to people, 
and talk to pastors and ministers, and they begin to share about the struggle to try to get people to come back to church and have them to come back to service. It's all because there's been many voices elevated above the voice of their shepherd, above the voice of their pastor, and they have listened to another voice, a different voice. But Jesus says, my sheep will hear my voice. I want to hear the voice of the shepherd. I want to hear the voice of Jesus louder and clearer than any other voice out there. God forbid a news anchor's voice becomes more influential than our pastor's voice. God forbid that a doctor's voice becomes more influential than our pastor's voice. God forbid any other voice. That might cause some people to be nervous because like, what are you saying that pastor's a dictator? He's trying to lord over everything and micromanage your life. No, no, no. His focus is your spiritual well-being. Others might try to look out for your natural well-being. But I'm telling you, the greatest effect on the natural is the spiritual. The greatest effect on the mental is the spiritual. This is why the primary focus of all of our lives should be the spiritual side of us. And God, there's no more important, no voice more important than the spiritual voice that is watching over my soul and praying for me. In verse 12, iniquity is going to abound in the last days. And because iniquity abounds, the love of many wax cold. Love has gone cold. It is a frigid climate we find ourselves in the world today. But he that shall endure to the end, the same shall be saved. It's amazing. You read the list of all the things that are going to occur. You read about love going cold. You read about people betraying one another, people being slain for the name and persecuted for the name of Jesus. You read about wars, rumors of wars, famines, pestilence, earthquakes, and the list goes on as Jesus begins to describe everything that's going to come against this world. And yet Jesus says there's going to be people that endure to the end. And those that endure to the end. I know it may seem overwhelming, but Jesus says there's going to be a people. There's going to be a remnant that make it all the way through. But he says salvation is for those who endure. Salvation is more than a moment. It is a momentum. It is an everyday way of living. It's Christian living on a daily basis. How in the midst of all this can anyone be saved? Endure. And to endure a race, one must build stamina. We are not in a 40-yard a dash. We're not uh, in a sprint. We are in a marathon. And we are coming to the end of that marathon. But to make it through a marathon, you have to build up stamina. To build stamina, exercise is key. I'm not talking about physical exercise for our physical body, but a spiritual exercise for the spiritual side of us. And we must exercise our faith. We must exercise our faith. A couple of verses here, Acts 24, 16, Paul says, Herein do I exercise myself. He says, I'm going to make an effort to exercise. That word means to train. I'm going to train myself. I'm going to discipline myself. To always have a conscience void of offense. What's the last day sign of the time? Offense. Many offended. But Paul says, I choose to exercise myself in a way where I will not be offensive. 
or offended. I will not, I'm going to be void of offense toward God and toward men. I'm going to do everything I can to train myself to be void of offense towards God and toward men. In verse 7 of 1 Timothy 4 and verse 8 as well, he says, Refuse profane old wise fables and exercise yourself unto godliness. For bodily exercise profits little, and that is the focus usually of the new years and the resolutions people make. And the, the gym's going to be filled, the rec center's going to be packed because people are making bodily exercise uh, commitments. And I'm not against any of that. It does benefit somebody. It does help somebody. But it is not going to be what solves the most important part. It's going to only benefit you a little. But there is a spiritual exercise that's going to profit unto all things. Having promise of the life that now is and that which is to come. You can exercise in a way, you can set goals in a way where you are living with the end in mind. I am going to be ready for what is coming. I'm going to exercise myself unto godliness. I'm going to exercise myself unto holiness, unto righteousness. And this exercise only comes from time in the word and time in prayer. There goes the broken record side of me. Prayer and the word. It's those two things that you need to exercise yourself in. And if you are not in time with prayer and the word, you are not being benefited in all things. You have to exercise that godliness that benefits all things, that's profitable unto all things. Prayer and the word. The Bible says in Romans ten seventeen, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. How do you exercise your faith? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We need to hear some preaching, but you also need to hear yourself reading the Bible. You need to be immersed in the Bible because this word the Bible says the word of God is quick. It is alive. Hebrews 4.12. It is a breathing document. And if you want your spirit, your faith to be resuscitated, you need the breath of God to give you spiritual CPR. Your faith that is diminished and depleted needs God to resuscitate it. And the breath of God is found in the word of God because the spirit of God is found in this book. And when you read it, all of a sudden your faith all begins to come back too. Your faith begins to grow, expand, and materialize. Jude one twenty. the other way is prayer. Building up yourselves on your most holy faith. How? Praying in the Holy Ghost. You want to build your faith? You got to build the, your exercise in the Word. You have to build your exercise in prayer. If you want to have greater faith this year, because pastor's going to be preaching great things that God's going to bring about in this day. We've already heard him declare the promise that God gave through Bishop Cornwell at the men's retreat, that God is going to double the adult attendance of this church this year. It takes faith to believe a proclamation and declaration like that. It takes faith to receive something like that. But the only way your faith is going to be healthy enough to 
receive a word like that is you have to have a prayer life and you have to have a Bible reading life because it is the word and it is prayer that builds your faith. And so when a word of faith goes forth, you're already conditioned to receive it and you're conditioned to go after it because it's a marathon. It's a race that we are in right now. And this race that we are running, we must run this race with patience, looking unto Jesus. And we must have a healthy life in the word and in prayer. Verse 14, this gospel will be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations. It's amazing. Once more, you read the preceding verses of everything that's going to occur. Pestilence, famine, earthquake, betraying one another, easily offended. Iniquity abounding, men's hearts failing for fears, it says in Luke. And he says, in the midst of all this, there will be people evangelizing. Because the entire world will hear the message while the entire world tries to fight the message. How do you do that unless you got faith? You can't do that. Unless you have faith, if you're living with the end in mind that the end of time is near, it is upon us, it is coming. And so I've got to build my faith because when one of these signs of the times begins to knock on my door personally, it's easy for us to all nod our head and say, yeah, I believe we're in the last days and look what's going on in Israel. Look what's going on in, 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 in this nation and that nation. Look what's going on worldwide. Why we sit in the safety of South Dakota where we're not, we're the only place that doesn't have all these mandates and restrictions and things pushed on us. And I, I thank God for where we live, but we could end up being like Esther living in the palace thinking that it's not going to affect us, but it's going to affect us if we do not do anything. And one day, if we don't put Haman in check, he's going to knock on our palace door personally with an edict in hand, and it will be too late to do anything about it. We can do something about it right now. We can do it right this very moment and say, look, I, I, I know I've made this pledge and commitment to, before to be a better Christian, to go deeper in God, but I, I really want to follow through with it right now because I, I want to live with the end in mind. Jesus is coming back. I will give my myself to prayer. I will give myself to the word because I want my faith to expand and to grow because my faith will be tested. My faith will be challenged. My faith will be persecuted. Do we really think that we will survive that test on that day? Prayerless and wordless. People, people think that they're going to, they're going to die a martyr, but they can't live a saint. How on earth do we think that we would really give our lives for this faith that we are not giving our day-to-day -to, -day to to build our faith? I, 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 you know, I don't know. People make the statement whether we're pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib, pan-trib. It's all going to pan out. I, I know in this church, I'm a, uh, you know, I'd like to assemble a tribulation task force. You know, if it all happens and we're here for it, you know, I, I know... With Michael and Mike and, and uh, some, some, some preppers like that that could take care of us and feed us with everything that they hunt off the land. And uh, we're going to be okay. We've got some great end time people in this room if we go through it all. And Jeremiah will provide us good music for it too. So we'll, we'll, be, we'll be all set. But here's the reality. Do we really think that we'll go through that kind of level of intensity and persecution when we're struggling 
to just to, to pray daily. When, when we're struggling to find time, well, I got, I got to try to make time to read my Bible today. I haven't read it in three days. I'm not saying you're going to hell because you didn't read your Bible in three days. I'm not saying that, you know, you're going to split the pit because you're only praying 15 minutes a day. But is that really out of 24 hours in a day, every day that God has blessed you with? And we struggle with freedom to practice our faith. That when our faith begins to get challenged, how will we fare in that day? And that's where very little has been done. There's a lot going on behind the scenes, but we have not seen. We've barely seen the tip of the iceberg of the society beginning to lock down on the church's freedoms. It's been happening incremental over time. And, you know, you could argue all the things that have unfolded through politics and policies, et cetera. But uh, we, we, we begin to see some people's faith tested when they weren't even allowed to go back to church. And now that they're allowed to go back to church, they're not finding themselves in church. That, that's, not, that's not with a gun. That's not with, with, with severe persecution. That's just simple, you know, this temporary mandate that you can't attend in congregated places. And now that people have, like I was just in SoCal, California, and I was talking to Bishop Hodges, and, and he was sharing all the legal battles that he went through to help them to be able to congregate and assemble together. Now, you know, we were in, in that service. There was some 1,400 young people gathered together in that youth convention. It was an awesome thing. But the church that we were having it at, it was a, a, a non-denominal church, and it, it seats like 2,000 people. And they, they, they barely have 30% of their people coming back. You imagine, you might think there's empty seats here. You imagine, we're, at least we're more than 30% in this room. Could you imagine being in a, 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 an auditorium of 2,000 and you only got like, you know, three, 300, 400 people in there? Out of all, your faith will be tested and challenged. And it's been incremental, but I'm telling you, the floodgate's about to unleash and open. And the only way is if we're going to make it in the end is if we live right now with the end in mind. Jesus is coming back. And I got a ton of verses I want to go through. But the Bible says that this gospel will be preached in the entire world. Then the end will come. How will we be found on that day? Will we be found hiding or will we be found evangelizing? Jesus says in Matthew 24, 29, I, I'm not going to be able to read all the verses here today. But he says the powers of heaven are going to be shaken. Everything that can be shaken is going to be shaken. And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. It says immediately after the tribulation in verse 29. Those days, it's going to get dark. Moon's not going to give light. Stars falling from heaven. Powers of heaven being shaken. Then comes the sign, the Son of Man in heaven. And all the tribes of the earth are going to mourn. And, and in verse 38, it says the world that day, they were eating, drinking, marrying, giving into marriage. You read through this chapter, the activity of the end time hour. The activity you do not find the lost doing is praying and reading. They were not given to spiritual disciplines. They were given to just the entertainment of life. There's nothing wrong with eating, drinking, getting married. But when you're given to it, more than you're given to prayer and the word, your faith is susceptible. Your faith is vulnerable. 
I submit the only way to remain during this great shaking of heaven and earth is the anchor of prayer and the word of God. To stay spiritually minded, I would encourage you to read Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 8. It's powerful. I'm not going to go through all, but it talks about walking in the spirit. It says in verse 5, if, if, if you are people that are after the flesh, mind the things of the flesh. If people after the spirit, mind the things of the of the spirit. So verse 13, we got to mortify the deeds of this body. We got to be led of the spirit. I want to read just, I only got five minutes and then we're dismissed. So I'm going to pass all of that. I wanted to read through it. But second Thessalonians two, one and two, we beseech you brethren by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, by our gathering together unto him, that you be not soon shaken in mind. Everything's being shaken. Everything that can be shaken will be shaken. But he says, you got to make sure your mind is stable through all of this. You're going to feel the effects on your flesh. But you cannot let your mind be shaken by it. Hebrews 12, 25 through 29. Do not refuse him that speaks. If they escape not that refuse God that spake on the earth much more, how are we going to escape if we turn away from him that speaks from heaven? Whose voice shook the earth. But he has promised one more time. He's not going to shake only the earth, but he's going to shake the heavens. And this word yet once more signifies removing of these things that are shaken as of things that are made, that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. Wherefore, we receive a kingdom which cannot be moved. I want my mind not to be shaken. I want my faith not to be shaken. We are in conversation uh, in a meeting with the Next Town Ministries team and, uh, we were just talking about consecration, and uh, Brother Miller brought up just a, a great point as to the importance of consecration. And he referenced this picture of this house up here that was on the Gulf of Mexico uh, in, in Florida during Hurricane Michael back in 2018. And there was 150 to 175 mile winds that pounded through this place. And the point that... Brother Miller was making about the importance of our consecration, our prayer life, our Bible reading life, our Christian living, is that if we just simply try to live life based off of minimal requirements, when the big storm comes, like if the storm never comes, wonderful. If we don't go through the tribulation, wonderful. I, I don't care when it is. I just want to be ready. But there is a storm coming. And you may have breath in your lungs on that day. You may not have breath in your lungs on your day of that storm. But when that storm comes, you better hope that your house is ready for that storm. And the only way to sustain the onslaught of society that's coming upon us and the, the wrath of Satan that is coming towards and against the church is to have a deep foundation of consecration in prayer and the word. This picture of this house by a doctor is a retirement home, and he went beyond the minimal requirements, and he dug 40-foot pilings for his house to survive. He built this house to survive 250-plus mile-an-hour winds. Hurricanes don't come in like that, not typically. But he says, I, I, I want to make sure whatever hurricane comes that we can make it through it. And one of his statements he made in the interview is, 
I want this to last for generations to come. Your consecration is not just about you. Your walk with God's not just about you. It's about generations to come. I want to build my foundation not on the sand. I want to build it on the rock. It might be sandy foundation around me, but I'm going to dig deep until I find bedrock. And I'm going to build it upon that cornerstone, that chief cornerstone, that rock that is Christ Jesus. I want to go as deep as I... He went to every nitty-gritty detail in the building of that house, even to the, the depth of what types of screws were used for that home. Went to the detail where, where he changed the schematics of the roof and tightened down any spaces so there would be no gaps for wind to make its way through that home to lift off the roof. I think there's some areas in our life that we can tighten down a little better. I think we can tighten down. There may not be a lot of space for something to come in. But I don't want anything to come in. I don't want a little leaven to leaven the whole lump. And God, if a new year is what it takes to give me some new motivation, if I start thinking about living with the end in mind, I want to do it this year. I want to do it right now. I've got to be a man of prayer. I've got to be a woman of prayer. I've got to be a man of the word. I've got to be a woman of the word. Let's stand together. There is a storm coming. We are living in the last days. And we have to be given to spiritual disciplines. And if it pains you and it frustrates you and annoys you, even to listen to a sermon like this and not be interested in what I'm telling you right now, it should be an awakening to your, your mind and your spirit. My flesh is in control. I'm more given to the irritability of my flesh when pastor calls for more praying in the altar. When that worship leader calls for more worship in this service, and, and, I, and then I might react. Your flesh is in control. Your flesh is in control. In a time where the tree is green and we live in freedom and plenty. How will we fare when the pressure gets applied to us? Jesus, I love you. I thank you for your word. I thank you for your truth. I thank you. You bless us to live another year. You put breath in our lungs. And I pray, God, I don't want this to be just some sort of cliche, redundant thing we do in the beginning of the year and consecration and, Lord, uh, these, these stances, these, these things that we say we're going to do better at in our life with you. I pray that we really, really dig deep, God. I pray we have 40-foot piling spiritually, Lord. I pray we tap into your presence, into your name, because, Lord, the end is upon us and the great storm is coming. And I pray in the name of Jesus, whatever winds of doctrine begin to blow upon my home, it will not take the roof off of my home. My children will be not lost in the storm. My children are going to survive the storm. And my generation after that generation after that generation is going to have a firm foundation to live in. Lord, we are going to have next generation apostolics. We're going to have lineage and heritage in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ.